I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1961. The album is The Songs and Comedy of the Smothers Brothers at the Purple Onion. I never give it the full title, title actually recorded at the Purple Onion. The artist, of course, is Smothers Brothers. And my guest this week is Graham Clark. Thank you so much for doing the show. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. We played a real game of cat and mouse for some time. I uh, really did. Uh, tr- trying to organize this, and it's finally, it's finally arrived. And in this case, I was the mouse, and I caught a cat. That's kind of weird. <laughs> I, I, uh, so for those who do not know, somehow, Graham is the co-host of my favorite podcast, one of my favorite comedians, and he picked one of my favorite comedy albums of all time, which is all already on screen if you're watching it, but now it's on here twice, The Smothers Brothers of the Purple Onion. What, what, now, you have it on vinyl, too. Not I Rarely do. do people ever actually have the vinyl records to talk about in their hand, so I'm curious what yours looks like, because even the one that I have here is totally different than the one I'm well, holding. it's... It's Ooh. old and yes. it's signed it, it's by the Smothers Brothers. Son of a gun. Did you get it signed by the Smothers Brothers? I did, yeah. Oh yeah. my, uh, then screw the rest of the show. Let's talk about that first. Um, yeah, I uh, years and years ago, I opened for the Smothers Brothers uh, over, I think, three different nights. Wow. Three different cities. And uh, they were the nicest two men and they were very old time show business, which was mm-hmm. fantastic. Like, Backstage, they hung their pants up so they wouldn't get a crease in their pants. So I was hanging so out backstage good. with the Smothers Brothers in their boxers, which was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and um, they killed. They killed every night. They, yeah. you know, doing jokes, some of which were like, you know, five decades old or whatever. Mm-hmm. Still killed. Still killed. Still <laughs> funny. Still fresh. Uh, what uh, What year was this? What year was this? You were doing this. If this you... would have been one of the last years they were touring because they mm-hmm. announced their retirement shortly thereafter. So I think like 2009. Okay. Yeah, 2009, I think. Wow, was... that's more recent than I even realized they were still performing because when I saw them, I saw them once and there was no opportunity to get anything signed. But of course, I was not working with them. Um, but uh, I saw them once and they were like, oh, cool, we can just bust out the old LBJ material uh, but it'll, and Nixon material, but it'd be about Bush. And it was, you know, perfectly legitimate, worked brilliantly. Yeah always on top of it and and it's not even like a oh no they were doing well for their age no 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 they were hot and doing a brilliant job yeah that's that was kind of my like i always thought they were really funny but i Mm -hmm. thought exactly what you thought like this is going to be a nostalgia act because that's like i've seen bob newhart and that's kind of what bob newhart does is he's kind of like i'll answer questions about newhart and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and he like played videos and stuff like that but it wasn't really a stand-up show and this was this was just like a show. These yeah. mother's brother just put on like this fantastic show. So funny. So tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it was it was so inspirational to see them and uh, to see them three different nights doing the exact same set. Right. And it killing, you know, every single night just the same way. Oh, that's remarkable. What were the what were the three cities you were performing in? Uh, Calgary, Edmonton. And I believe we also hit red deer but it could be it could be conflating that with something else but for sure because i know my family came to it in calgary and then we went up to edmonton the next day or maybe it was two shows in edmonton maybe that's what it was okay um but anyways it was fantastic and they played it like big old theater and i think maybe they hadn't announced that it was their last tour but they were they retired shortly thereafter so yeah yeah so good good so good and That's... they, because um, you're based out of the States, is that correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, growing up in Canada, uh, the Smothers Brothers were spokespersons for uh, Shreddies, the, the series. What is this? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. They, they uh, it was either Shreddies or Shredded Wheat, but uh, they did a Mom Always Liked You Best routine mm-hmm. in this commercial. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I first knew the Smothers Brothers was through that commercial i didn't know that they were comedians or anything i thought they were just Mm -hmm. creations of an ad executive you know yeah yeah (laughs) these two old brothers (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what okay you know what somebody's gonna call me out and i'm betting they had the commercial here and i'm just forgetting it so if any american wants to give me shit please don't i probably just forgot because i now that you're saying it i think that might have existed here too that that would be uh that would be wild because i thought it was a canada only because sometimes i'll have to check people would make ads in Canada 
and they would only be broadcasting Canada. Like Johnny Cash did an ad for Toronto Dominion Bank uh-huh. um, in like the early eighties, but mm-hmm. it was kind of like you know how celebrities could record ads in Japan and not sure. worry about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same kind of thing with Canada. Please tell me it had something to do with you'll always be in the black because he's the man in black. If you're doing it a was, bank commercial. You know what it was? It was uh, advertising the first um, ATMs uh-huh. at Toronto Dominion Bank. And it was so you don't have to walk the line. <laughs> so that's Holy what it shit. Is. Yeah. Damn it. That's better. No, that's better. <laughs> these ad these ad geniuses are much smarter than I am. Wow. <laughs> I love okay, so I always love when we discover these things through sideways methods. I don't know how I discovered this mother's brothers except that, you know, this record or the the version that's hanging on my wall was like my grandmother's and that was eventually passed down to me and I listened to this one countless times. Yeah. Um, When did you first discover whatever version of their comedy you discovered? Um, Well, there was the commercial. And then when I was um, kind of in grade school, I was really wanting to, like, learn how to do yo-yo tricks. Yeah. So my mom bought me a VHS cassette that came with a yo-yo. And it was uh, Tommy Smothers doing his yo-yo man character. So good. So I, I knew that and then i started kind of putting it together who these guys were they, mm-hmm. we, my parents didn't have smothers brothers records they had a lot of comedy records but no smothers brothers um and then in the 90s on in living color there was um they did a parody of the smothers brothers called the brothers brothers <laughs> and they and then that's when it started to like it all conflated at that point that this guy they were you know, classic comedy act. And so I got my hands on, I don't think it was this album. I think it was, um, uh, curb your tongue knaves. Sure. It was called? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I was like, like there's just nobody that's got timing like this. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. when I first listened to it, I was like, this is, it seems casual. That's the thing about them. They seem mm-hmm. like this is the first time they're doing this bit. And, and you know that it's not, but they do kind of lull you into that feeling that, mm-hmm. you know, that they're just goofing around and, and that Tommy's really, you know, just he's like that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they, they play their character so well. I just the first time I listened to it, I was hooked, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember what bits are on there. I, I have them all. Uh, big brag. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've listened to all of them and uh, their stuff starts to bleed together uh, until I realize that this is one of the ones again. I, I will not make this about me. It's just that, like my my other friends who were not as comedy nerdish as I was. Mm-hmm. I still got hooked on this particular record and I've been trying to figure out forever why this had such wide appeal. Um, and I don't know if it is just the timing or if it is. It, may, it might just be the casualness with which he plays a fucking idiot. Who's also got you know every punch? You know, poor Dicky, not poor Dicky, but that man is just so willing to give everything over to Tom. Yeah, uh, and that's huge. He's probably, I mean, you know, it's arguable, but he's probably the best straight man that I can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, like that because he doesn't he doesn't seem like he's playing a character. He no. does seem like he's the guy who wants to get down to singing the song. They've done this in rehearsal and why can't Tommy get it right? <laughs> and and it's so it's so well done because yeah, Tommy would be hilarious on his own, but it's it's triple as hilarious having Dickie be a straight man. And I think he's probably like I have a hard time picturing who would be a better straight man than Dick Smothers. Right. And I the the crazy part to me also is just later on when you if you delve deeper into how much you know, just how important the Smothers Brothers were to, you know, political act- uh, activism on American TV. Mm-hmm. When you realize that Tommy is like, he's the one who behind the scenes is scream- screaming at people to be like, no, fuck, we need to make this, we need to push it until we're canceled, basically. He yeah. didn't want to be canceled, but he was hard. hard and that, that I didn't know until years and years after first mm-hmm. listening to them. I had no idea that there was that dimension to their career Mm -hmm. and uh and so it was like it was you know it was like uh, unwrapping a package like it was like oh there's this whole other level to these guys that wasn't this kind of innocent 
<laughs> kind of folk duo. They were right. like this very on the cutting edge, uh, kind of dangerous comedians in their day. I also love, too, that, yeah, look at the cover. They're very clean cut. Yes, they're playing folk music. But the first joke on this record is him saying sing along with bitch instead of it's barely a joke, but it is hilarious to me. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, isn't it cute? Oops, I misunderstood what to say. Obviously, he didn't. He's a grown man. And I just love that it and it works. And the audience catches it. Not like everything. They miss a few of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, it's just they don't overdo it like he'll say a phrase like you know we the sailors go into town and to pick up their oars mm -hmm. but they don't dwell on it they don't make it like eight examples of it it's just right one maybe a one repeat and then on with the yeah you know dick gets flustered and then on with the uh, song you know mm -hmm. and there's uh, you know and it's also just actually casual enough enough that they're enjoying one another so you get to hear them laughing at definitely hear dick laughing at tommy through throughout it even though he's playing the straight man yeah and that's when i saw them live that was that was very easy to pick up on that they were that they genuinely were uh enjoying each other's presence they're not like people who had separate dressing rooms and only talked to each other on stage they you know traveled around in a bus together and mm -hmm. uh I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they were like the best of friends, which is right. a, it's a nice thing to watch. Did Tommy do any of the yo-yo stuff on this tour that you saw him on? Because yeah. he did when I saw. OK, all right. Yeah, he came out kind of in the second half of the show mm -hmm. uh, and did did a bunch of yo-yo tricks. And, you know, he does this like very funny dance to the yo-yo man music. <laughs> and uh, it was great because then it really at that point point it all came together <laughs> is the yo-yo man and the smothers brothers and uh yeah I, I think i even asked them about the <clears throat> the commercial and they made some kind of joke about it like mm -hmm. you know we needed the money or something like sure. that you know yeah <laughs> that was the time too i'm assuming this is in the 80s or 90s the the commercial you're talking about right yes yeah uh so it's around the time that there was all of a sudden this resurgence and they got their new the Smothers Brothers, the new comedy hour that CBS gave them, like for like a little reunion show. Right. And when they decided to no longer, they're like, you guys can be edgy now. They're like, okay. And then they decide not to be. They're just completely straight edge. And just then that's their way of being punk, which I find adorable and funny and a big fuck you to the, <laughs> the place that canceled them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like during the show, they talked about it. And mm -hmm. I think maybe they showed a video kind of clip clip show kind of video and um it was fascinating and yeah. then i like after that the documentary smothered came out yes i love it yeah and so then i watched that and then i got kind of the full breadth of who they are and, and what they did and uh it made me love them even more people people should watch that documentary it's a good documentary came out it's a very good documentary 10 years yeah. ago or something but um my god there's there's a lot on this record to talk about i don't know if you want to go track by track um we can do we yeah. can it starts out with a song entitled pretoria which i mean it just for those who don't know i guess i could just explain they're funny folk people folk music yeah. was so huge at this time and they decided uh to i'm assuming turn an existing folk act into a comedy act because a lot of people were doing that because folk music wasn't really cutting it anymore and nobody was coming to see the shows and uh, there was banter between the folk music and then that for some people became an act i think no more obviously than these guys yeah, I wondered about that kind of their whole thing. Were they a, a folk music duo that told jokes or were they a comedy duo that played music? Right. And, and this album, it's very music centric. Yes, very um, much so. And I think some of their other albums, like the bits are a bit longer and then like the songs kind of are in the backseat a bit. Mm -hmm. But this one, it's like the music is front and center. They're singing like classic folk songs. Mm -hmm. um and you know what they 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 could put out an album of just them singing they're good like mm -hmm. they they are sound fantastic you know yeah beautiful voices and great sing uh great performers too uh, dicky did release i call him dicky it's dick sorry i'm not his brother <laughs> no Dick but he calls him dicky so i think you're in the i guess right. you're i'm fine uh he he did release i still haven't heard it he did release a music only album um around this during this period 
because oh, well, he's like, wow. yeah, I still have not listened to it because you know everybody's like, don't listen to it. I was like, why not? Just does I don't only buy comedy records, but uh, I should give it a shot. Yeah, um, I mean, it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be bad if it's him singing and he's got mm -hmm. a beautiful voice and does good, uh, you know, arrangements and exactly. yeah, why why wouldn't it work? I had, you know, uh, again, I'm I'm so pleased that you picked this because uh, for about a billion reasons that we won't go over. But uh, just every time a new bit would come back to me, it's like, oh, fuck, I have most of this memorized. Uh, I've heard it that many times. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. There's some specific things that were, were became, because this is how fucking dumb nerds my friends and I were, uh, these became catchphrases amongst us. Um, okay. Something from 30 years, 20 years before we were born. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the first song, Pretoria, is, you know, they're talking about a march, and they just do this whole dumb bit about the the bridge on the River Kwai. Which, and the whistling. And the whistling. Yeah. She whistled the words because the words were dirty. That's right. <laughs> you know, as I'm realizing also explaining these these gags is hard to do without doing the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the if the people out there haven't heard the album, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the comedy bits in this particular album are all in the intros to the songs. Yes. So them kind of explaining where the songs come from and then. Tommy goes on a long-winded thing that's incorrect or somewhat <laughs> correct and then veers off and then they sing a song. So it's, yeah. it's got, that's kind of the pattern of the whole album. There's so much... Uh, also towards the end, too, when he he's doing that little bit where... What does he say? Yeah, he says, you sleep with me, I'll sleep with you, and then he whistles. And you can tell, you can picture the dumb little, like, cute face he's making. He's like, hey, get it? It's uh, uh, it's so childish. I think this is what appealed to me as a kid and still does as a grown man, that these, you know, 30-year-old men were acting like children. Yeah, totally. And they, uh, you know, like I say, like, their whole dynamic is not, it's not like... Uh, Tommy's getting or Dickie's getting like flustered mm -hmm. like because that's I think the way with a lot of comedy duos is mm -hmm. the one person would be the dumb person the other one would be getting constantly flustered by them but he doesn't get flustered he just kind of gently corrects him yes and just kind of says no no <laughs> it's it's very much the slow brother the smart brother yeah <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> patient a patient straight man which is that is i mean it's i think it's another reason like carl reiner works so well in 2000 year old man where he's the whole time he doesn't really question him as much as like yeah. that sounds strange uh but i'll keep yeah. going with it it's a yes and that is uh before yes and was a commonly understood term yeah and they also like um this was before their kind of catchphrase of mom always liked you best mm -hmm. and uh so it's like it's a more raw version of what they would kind of polish up over the years and then, mm -hmm. then toured for you know they think they were a comedy duo for over 50 years it's insane it's insane yeah uh, and beautiful i love that oh, yeah man. me too do you um we, we'll dive back into the album but sure. I, I i don't think i've ever heard you and i hate this and i know everybody talks about this on every comedy podcast so i hate to ask how you got started in comedy but i'm gonna have to but let's start at a specific place you and i are both people who may or may not regret our film degrees we both went to film school That's i don't right. regret the degree i uh, uh i regret the degree not the experience maybe uh it was a good time i like my i like my time in film school yeah me too and it was really expensive i spent all the money i had to go mm -hmm. and uh lived with a friend of mine who let me live at his place for free. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just lived at film school the whole time yeah. I was there. I would sleep there a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, just that was it. That was just like consumed uh, film, just yeah. lived it for a year. And uh, and then, yeah, I, afterwards, uh, the, I was working on movie sets. And then mm -hmm. the, uh, there was a, I think it was an actor strike, but it might have been a writer strike, and the entire industry shut down. Mm -hmm. And so even people who were like 20-year veterans were out of work. Oof. So somebody who was just brand new to it was for sure out of work. So mm -hmm. I just kind of drifted away from it from then on. You know, were you what were you shooting for? Directing? What did you did you have a path in mind? I think 
I liked writing, and mm-hmm. I and then I found that I did like directing. Um, and I I know I'm not as technical as a lot of uh, people who are on film sets. There's like a real uh, film nerd kind of thing that comes out on film sets uh-huh. where people are like, I know all about this lens, and I know about this camera, and mm-hmm. uh, and I I never was interested in any of that. I was interested in like you know, what was the best way to shoot a comedy, you know, and what was the best way to get people to say the lines like you think they should be said. Sure. Without doing, giving them a line read. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. How about you? What do you, what do you specialize in? Well, I thought I was going to be a director. Then we came out here, had our, our uh, we had a semester in LA, which was on the CBS lot out here, which okay. is very exciting. Makes you feel very cool. Yeah. And, Technically, it was like a producer class, and I'm like, oh, am I a producer? But there's a lot of writing involved. We had to pitch a script that we had written. So I had to pitch a script that a producer read. Again, makes you feel really big. And then yeah, you're like, yeah, of course. oh, cool. And then it took a while for me to realize I'm none of those things, really, even though I have since made three movies. Um, you have? Ins- Holy yes. Hell. I insist on still making them. They cost no money. Uh, but I insist on making them, even though part of me is like, ah, I think I'm a writer. Ah, I think I'm at this. I'm, a, I'm obviously been a podcaster for way too long. But, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you find these things. And I, I wish I'd have found something earlier, maybe to make me realize that because uh, they, they told you when you came out here, don't be a multi hyphenate. And I just I think I was. um uh, What's the word? Uh, Contrary. I was a huge contrarian. So I just kept making whatever I right. wanted to. Uh, did you, so in college, had you even tried stand-up yet? Was how? I did stand-up when I was a teenager. Okay. And always loved comedy, always loved stand-up in particular. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that was, like, a, it was harder to consume uh, stand-up back then. Now, yeah. you, you know, like, it's just infinite that you can get on the internet and you know netflix has all these specials and you can kind of access it all but back in the day you had to kind of scrounge for it and you know uh you had to buy albums and you had to know somebody that had the album so you could listen to it and um you know so i was always very enamored with Mm stand-up and so i did it uh i did it a bunch of times at like open mics and i did a comedy competition when i was 14 or 15 shit okay Uh, um and then then i kind of as i was doing the uh, open mics and stuff i was like uh this seems sad like it seems like (laughs) the people here are sad Uh so i was like i gotta go i'll go get an education and then i thought you know i was thought i would never do it again and then after the film industry shut down i drifted back to stand up because because yeah. uh, there was nothing else right. going on, you know. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if there's one thing that's gonna survive when people are not allowed to, you know, write for a living or um, do something that somebody has written for a living, you might as well. Not that stand up isn't written, but you might as well do a thing uh, that doesn't involve an entire crew, and you still get yeah. to create. You still get to hopefully make people laugh. Yeah, and it is the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas film is, like, incredibly collaborative. Mm -hmm. uh, And you have to be, even though, you know, they may say, like, don't be a a multi-hyphenate, you do have to have all sorts of knowledge and experience of all the different, uh, you know, components of a film and and different areas and departments people are working in. Um, And so you do need to have a bit, you do have to be like a, a little bit of a camera person and a little bit of a sound person and have an eye for set deck and you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, but stand up, you just really, you can focus on the one thing yeah, and, and kind of sculpt that and, and kind of, uh, you know, like it, you, you're only answerable to you, yeah. which is very different than film where you have to answer to a hundred people. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, the crazy thing, too, then, I guess, about stand-up is then if you only are answerable yourself, uh, it's up to you whether or not the pressure's there. Uh, so you can really fucking suck if you don't put enough pressure on yourself or the yeah. right kind of pressure. 
That's right. How how have you found the balance over the years trying to make it? Because, again, I uh, for those who haven't heard or seen your comedy, I will recommend people just go down the rabbit hole on YouTube or something and watch everything you've done because you make me laugh more than just about anybody. So oh, I, thank you. That's amazing. I, you're brilliantly funny. And I was uh, I think I spent way too much time on Dave's episode of the show saying, so what's what's his new show like with the iPad? Can you tell me? He's like, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm like, can you give me some idea what it's about? Because I'm never going to get to see it. And he's like, I'm sorry. Uh, I felt really bad. Um, uh, how do you hold yourself accountable other than just uh, just sticking it to yourself? Like that sounded filthy, but you know what I'm saying. I think the I I think the audience is who you're accountable to. You know? Sure, and they don't owe you, uh, you know, pity laughs or like they're they're the most on. I think it's the most honest response that you can that you can get is mm -hmm. that live audience because if something's funny then it's funny and if mm -hmm. it's something if you're trying to sell something uh and they're not buying it mm -hmm. and you're not selling it well enough you know so I, like that's how that i always hold myself to that account of mm -hmm. you know because like not that audiences are not are never wrong because sometimes they are wrong mm -hmm. but uh the most part the audience will tell you the god's honest truth mm -hmm. uh, and uh and that's the way that's the way i kind of um judge how well i'm doing is mm -hmm. can i get that point across to an audience uh you know whatever point i'm trying to make um and that's kind of the that's the test to me mm -hmm. if the audience buys it and that's that's how i keep myself going is is the uh what is the audience gonna think because you, you can also tell the difference between because i i don't think i could be wrong but in case of certain comics and, and maybe you're one of them it's not necessarily did i get a laugh but did i get a laugh where they knew what the fuck i was talking about like did they actually recognize what i was talking about the whole time yeah i mean that's the most satisfying is where everybody somehow you've steered everybody to be on the same page mm -hmm. and uh that feels very satisfying if you yeah. somehow not only did you make them laugh but you like you say like you made them understand a concept you were trying to convey is very that feels very good mm -hmm. yeah absolutely because i was going to ask i was like well there are some comedians right who what about those ones who really don't use the audience as a gauge and then i realized no you're talking about sociopaths like if you never pay attention yeah. or care that's um a problem and exist. it's there there are comedians that they see the relationship with the audience as more adversarial sure like i'm trying to whip an audience into shape or whatever and that mm -hmm. sometimes works too yep. but even then you're still filtering it through what does the audience think yeah know? so that's i think i think that's maybe it's not unique to stand up but um certainly to like live performance the mm -hmm. audience they say whether it's good bad boring you know exciting mm -hmm. that's that's a uh that's very i think exists only with live performance you know right that makes sense um so okay good well i'm glad that i at least follow the the, the train of the film school thing because i had a feeling that might have been maybe the the sort of the next step is that it didn't you moved from doing that onto stand but how the hell does that um i know we can keep talking about this mother's brothers but how does that lead to doing it for a living i do not understand how the hell that it is still something that perplexes me how that happens um yeah it perplexes me too um <laughs> and you know it'll it's now because of everything that's going on mm -hmm. it really is challenging the notion of what what you do like yeah. going to a comedy club is is now going to be a risky venture you know right. whereas before it was just like the most you could lose was cover you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and so um yeah i don't know if that's going to affect the ability to make a living mm -hmm. off of it i mean it has so far but i don't, sure. don't know in the long term but i for myself i just whereas you were saying like i think you're based in la is that correct yeah when you went to LA, they said, don't be a hyphenate mm -hmm. in, in Canada. And I think also in standup, you have to be, Yeah, you have to be, you can't, there's no, 
you know, lucky are the few that just do stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you stand up, you you act in things, you write, you write punch up, you produce your own show, you do a podcast, sure. you know, you do all these things. Um, and, you know, stand up's just one of them. And so you yeah. have to do that in Canada or you, yeah, you would starve. You would starve mm-hmm. within a year. Well, I, I, that was the other thing too, is like, I, I, I've met a lot of people out here who are just like, no, just stick to it. And I, I did PA work for a long ass time, way too yeah, me long. Me too, yeah. And once I realized I'm spending 18, and this is, don't get me wrong, there's ego involved here, but 18 hours a day on a project that I had nothing to do the creation of, I was just sure. like, this is this is hollow for me. Yes, it's money, but let's see if I can do something else. And eventually, you know, sort of found a, a day job for 10 years that I absolutely hated and hated me. But, you know, it was, it kept <laughs> What me was that day job? I don't ever talk about the details, but I will say that it was working in an industry that I hated, doing office work, and I like I moved up and moved up and hated the people enough to manipulate them to pay me the kind of money I needed to make, and then um, eventually something really crazy happened, and I finally said, oh, no, this is terrible and tearing me apart, and I'm going to quit. So yeah. uh, I have now been back in the real world again for a year and a half, and it's insane, but also my heart works again. <laughs> so it's, That's you know, great. You know? that's, that's really good to hear, because... I think, you know, you everybody can get easily sidetracked by mm-hmm. the day job thing. And like, especially, you know, when you get home after a day mm-hmm. at the day job, the last thing you want to do is then do night work. Right. You know? Now I did, you know, I did for 10 years, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, did, I was still making that during that 10 year period. That's when I made my three movies, but like, and a, a billion podcasts, but it was not. It didn't feel. It feels way better now. It's it's a where, little, you know. Where do those movies end up living? Like, where oh, do I, they go? Two of them on YouTube because they're like, they're very clearly made by a person who's doing it all himself. I think. Right. I think. And then the third has been distributed on DVD and stuff. I don't know why they want to and like digital and shit. So that one's a documentary. That one I'm super proud of because I, there was I don't know. There's more to it than the other stuff maybe. Right. Yeah, and it was probably more your personal voice kind of coming through. Yeah. These other two are like huge, but they are also part of a, um, uh, uh, performance art thing that I've been doing since 2004 and, uh, okay. will maybe end with a podcast this year. We'll see. So two movies in a podcast is how it's going to play out. So, wow. I don't know. Yeah. It's insane. That's um, cool though. That's like, it's fun. uh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, I think you have to, you, you know, a lot of people have to do the day job, thing sometimes Mm -hmm. their whole creative career sure that's just the way it goes like very like i say very few people get to just i'm a stand-up comedian or i'm a dj or whatever gets to do that (laughs) yeah their whole life you know everybody has to do something to pay the bills yeah and and so it's like i say the lucky few that Mm -hmm. they get to do the thing they love exclusively and that's how they pay their bills um but yeah, it's tough. <laughs> you got to yeah. be flexible in this biz, you know? I fear that people like I at some point was or for a long time was get ashamed that they also have to have a day. There's no shame. That's just you are trying to exist. That is how it that's how it works. We don't live yeah. in a society where we just get money for existing. I'd be fine if we did. Universe place again income, fine. Please bring it on. I'll continue to just do podcasts and look for work. Yeah, you know? and I'm fine and like that. you know, there are a lot of people um that I grew up you know, consuming some of their work as like, uh, you know, Bukowski when I was a teenager, doesn't mm-hmm. translate as well to being an adult, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then like Harvey Picar, mm-hmm. these were, these were guys that had jobs almost the whole time that they were doing what they became known for. Mm-hmm. And so like out of the gates, I, I, I got it. I was like, anybody can, can do their creative thing, but they do need to be able to pay their rent. Yeah. So the day jobs, like it's absolutely part of the formula. Right. Yeah. The starving artist thing has been, uh, is, is a myth for a reason. Uh, and people mm-hmm. don't often realize that it's, it's, it's fun to fantasize about when you're in college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you do, uh, you know, and I, I don't think I ever did. I was like, no, I'm immediately going to be a famous movie maker. Is what, <laughs> right. That's where my delusion was. Um, <laughs> 
Oh boy. You know, I did not expect that. I apologize. We, we, this ended up being more about me, but I, I do like very much talking about where two film school people have gone uh, with their careers. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does. I, I think the collaboration and I think the, you know, somebody once told me also like, uh, you know, uh, Tom Lennon, name drop, did one, the one piece of advice I got when I was early out here is like, green light yourself is what he said. So that was me like, oh, well then I'm going to have to be a multi-hyphen. I have to make shit myself. So, yeah. you know, just make a ton of shit. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that just keep making things i do very much by the way still want to see your ipad show i want to know what that was all about <laughs> uh, did any was it ever recorded did you ever put um, it down for posterity no i didn't like i have the whole show because the whole show was pre-recorded and then played on an ipad that was holy shit the entire thing was oh my god yeah and it was propped up on like a, on a mask kind of set up and then uh god damn it yeah and so it was all it was all pre-recorded with spaces for the audience to laugh, and uh... <laughs> damn it, I'm so annoyed. You have no idea. I'm so but annoyed. Was, I didn't see it. I didn't film it because um, you could see what was happening on the iPad live, mm-hmm. but it it was hard to the the camera kept kind of focusing yeah. and unfocusing on the the iPad, so it wasn't tapable. Right, that makes yeah. sense. Son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> uh, well, if it ever comes back and people are allowed to go places, then I will gladly pay good money to see that. Um, All right. Should we should we talk some more about the album? Because I feel yeah. like people are going to get pissed if, if, if I keep distracting us. Um, I could talk about this all day. Uh, there's in So in Dance Boatman Dance, which is probably the one that's got maybe most of my favorite stuff in it, uh just all the terrible mispronunciations and like inability to speak that comes out of tommy is some of my favorite shit ever (laughs) yeah that he refers to the ships that that sailed here as the sunflower and the pan and maria (laughs) (laughs) it also starts with him going tasting tasting one two three and slurping the microphone (laughs) so dumb it's so god so good yeah, and, and also... it's like so gentle, and it's just yes. like if the audience gets it, great. If mm-hmm. not, moving right along, you know. Also, this audience—they're talking during it. There's so much talking. What the fuck was happening at this club? Yeah, there was. Uh, there's a lot of talking, and there's one woman's laugh that uh-huh. is this kind of piercing laugh. <laughs> she she laughs louder than everybody on every joke. <laughs> But it's mm-hmm. that kind of screechy scream laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, I always wondered when I would listen to these albums, like who was that person? Did they know when the album came out that they were right? so distinguishable? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One of my like, dreams is honestly to find a laugh I love on a record, find that person and interview them. I would I could talk to them for hours, you know? that's That would be an interesting, uh, right. that would be an interesting like, audio series is you mm-hmm. find try and track down the laugher mm-hmm. from, that's a that's a pretty good idea that could be your next podcast I, i'm tempted i'm thoroughly tempted <laughs> you'd have to prove it that would also be part of the fun like okay prove it please please provide mm-hmm. audio proof that you are this laugher if you can't do this just right i don't know that i'm gonna i'm gonna believe you yeah uh, i i love i love that identifying that person and this <laughs> album it's very you know it seems like somebody who's maybe like snuck into the club like Mm -hmm. she's maybe too young to actually be there (laughs) Mm -hmm. um maybe she's overcompensating by laughing but right uh, (laughs) yeah but i remember the first time i heard this i remember this was one of those laughs yeah um (laughs) there's a line here where they're just talking about the people moving west they looked westward and he said like that so obviously one of them turned their head uh, they packed up their families, their children. And doesn't he start by saying they <laughs> they went to California and then, uh-huh. no, we were on the eastern seaboard and we, yeah. they came through California. No, and then they went west <laughs> to California. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then when he says they packed up their chairs and spoons, that is uh, that knocked <laughs> me down. Yeah. That is one of the lines that we, my friends and I always repeated because it just was so funny. Why is that so funny? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because if, is it spoons? Is that what, why it's so funny? Is that on it? It's, it's what the kids call lol. So random. Uh, it yeah. is just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wish yeah, I could yeah. even say it better than that. Um, I almost can't, but it really is just like, 
the expectation, I guess, is that they're packing up important things, and then he immediately downgrades that to chairs and then spoons. Yeah, they packed up their <laughs> chairs, which is such a funny sentence on its own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and then you throw spoons in there, and it's <laughs> like, it was a, yeah, it's like a, a genuine belly laugh. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think also, that... <laughs> like when they're uh, introducing Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And they and he's he's going on about this name and this name and then he says the name is Marianne or and everybody loses their mind. Uh-huh. Um, and again, like you know, you're being set up for a punchline, but it doesn't feel that way. Right. You know, right. when they're uh, when they're doing it, it doesn't feel like a construction. It really does sure. feel like Tommy is that guy in that moment that's just kind of rambling over the intro. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this. You, el- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it just makes me think of how much a comedian in the right perfect headspace who is having a perfect night is like, like a series of waves coming in, and they're like you're bringing everybody in, and then eventually it crashes. Eventually it comes down, but like you're sucking people in slowly and surely until it's just fucking bam. There's there's the thing you're waiting for. You didn't. Yeah. And like, um, you know, in some of their later albums they would do gags within the song. Yes. Um, you know, they're like, there's the one where they're singing a beautiful Spanish ballad mm-hmm. and, uh, and then Tommy starts singing in German. <laughs> and, uh, but they didn't do as much of it on this first album. It really was like all the jokes, the, the song stood away from the jokes. Right. Like right the right, songs right. were just, if you took out the intros, it would have just been a, a nice folk album. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the weird thing about it is, um, you know, uh, like, I don't know how familiar you are with Tom Waits. A little. A little. His, I think his album, Nighthawks at the Diner, mm-hmm. is, is patterned after the Smothers Brothers. Really? Because he does these long kind of jokey intros to every song. He even okay. name checks the Smothers Brothers on the album. Okay. All right. And... Um, and like I say, all the jokes are independent of the songs, mm-hmm. but every joke track has its own track, and then the song starts on the next track. And it seems to me hmm. very, very reminiscent of the way that the Smothers Brothers kind of structure their, wow. their act. I yeah. did not know that, and now I'm, I mean, you've just convinced me to listen to what is probably already considered a classic album by many, but that's what's going to pull me in. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, I wouldn't have thought of it if he hadn't name checked the Smothers Brothers on the sure. album. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it it's it's just the type of album. Like I wish this album was two hours long. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I easily like I listened to it this morning before uh, the podcast, and it just whipped by. Mm-hmm. And I would like honestly, I could do with another if it was a double album. You know, it was so yeah. nice. It was so nice to sit there and listen to, but it's also not the the type of thing that demands your attention the whole time, sure. as sure. stand up often does. Right. Uh, you get that kind of mental break when they're singing these songs, and mm-hmm. then and you then you queue up for another joke. You know. Right. Yeah. Of like beautiful, perfect character comedy that. Yeah. Somehow sustains for whatever those are ten or eleven albums. It's I. They're all good. Every mm-hmm. one of them is a good record. And I, maybe that is why I own all of them. And maybe it is a brag, if only because, like, I've got, like, again, if you want more than, you know, that's fucking four, five, six hours of comedy there. Totally. That yeah. I can pretty much always listen to. I'm, I'm, an, I, this is what happens on this show sometimes is like, I don't totally get burnt out on comedy records. But then when somebody brings one back where I'm like, oh, right, this is why I started the podcast in the first fucking place. This is one yeah. of the first records we talked about. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is absolutely, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I will listen to this again soon because it was, that, yeah. it's just that good. Yeah. Like I said, I listened to it this morning and I hadn't mm-hmm. listened to it for a couple of years. Same. Yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was instantly back to the first time that I heard the Smothers Brothers. Like it just, mm-hmm. And like I say, if if I didn't know better, I would have thought that a lot of the banter was just riffing that mm-hmm. night, you know. Uh, so they're so I don't know how they do it. Yeah, 
even as a performer, I don't know how you make it seem live and that you're just coming up with it, but actually you've done it hundreds and hundreds of times yeah. the exact same way, but it still seems so loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it safe know. to assume for you, though, then that night after night, there's at least a little, even if it's just to mix it up for your own brain or like what is is. Is there a reason you don't try and do it exactly the same every night? It's not there's it's not musical, so that's one reason. Yeah, and also just personal boredom. Yeah, you know, I would imagine. Yeah, like I and you know what? It takes all all different stripes in comedy. Uh, there's some people who do the the act the exact same way every night, mm -hmm. and that works for them, and that's that's how they're great on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I look at I look almost in awe at those people mm -hmm. and uh and the smothers brothers would be at the top of that list you know yeah like yeah. so polished so perfect there was a uh i don't know if this happened to you but i picked up on a joke that i in 30 years of listening to this i've never ever caught before uh so it's at the opening of the jezebel bit where they're talking about how it's about this poor lady who's dealing with some mental problems she goes to see a bunk a bunch of psycho ceramists which is very stupid um <laughs> and they name check freud and jung as they call him and then they mentioned pavlov and i remember oh, yeah. the, the joke of every time every time he rang a bell she was ready uh wink wink and then i never ever caught when he said yeah she couldn't ride a trolley car ding 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 yeah yeah, yeah. i she never caught that joke <laughs> that joke <laughs> stupid and it's, it's beautiful it's one of those things where because i i didn't know this but most of the album uh because of technical difficulties was taped in uh texas i think oh wait yes i remember talking about that with somebody okay. yeah and um anyways the the fact like that trolley car is very san francisco uh-huh you know, yeah like, yeah like it is a very kind of places did in san francisco a bit it's but a yeah very good the pavlov's dog thing was fantastic so funny it's so dumb and <laughs> it's all dumb i mean like all of my favorite comedy has to have i think an element of of dumb because I mean, you know who who the fuck wants to see somebody smarter than them i guess unless they're watching john hodgman but even john hodgman knows when to be dumb like his, his yeah. bit is always there's a little bit of dumbness in his apparent pomposity uh, there's always it, if you can work those two together it's uh beautiful yeah and like it, do you find a lot of people that listen to the podcast do they then go and listen to the album? I I can't really tell if people are already familiar and want to hear you talk about something they're familiar with because I have podcasts where that's definitely the case. I've got a right. podcast about news radio. These people have already watched the show a million times, but they still right. want to hear us talk about it. So I don't know. I know a few times people have said, hey, uh, you know, you helped me discover blankety blank. So that does help. Um, yeah. So that does happen. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's fun. And then sometimes we literally do talk about albums where an hour after the part the guest is like, no, I would not recommend listening to this album. It's not that good. And that's, Oh really? Wow. Yeah. And it's either on revisit or on just sheerly discussing how terrible it is. Um, Pardo was on a couple weeks ago and we talked about the comic relief, 1986 album. And uh, <laughs> it's bad. Is it, it is, bad? It's real bad, except for uh, it's 86. So keep in mind how this is hosted by Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams. The best part of it was Carl Reiner and uh, Sid Caesar. <laughs> Those really? two were the funniest part of it. And doing a bit from your show of shows. So That's amazing. Yeah. 1986. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's uh, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that as a kid watching Comic Relief. Mm -hmm. And just like I say, you consumed stand-up any which way you could. Of course. So Comic Relief would be like a reliable, they put out a video cassette every year of it. Sure. And it would sometimes have like really funny people on it that were just doing a set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Overall, it was bad. Mm -hmm. You know, overall, it was, I don't know, it was bad Wait, stuff. did they replay, did you get the UK Comic Relief too since you're Canada or just the American one? Just the American one, yeah. Huh. I, I have wanted to compare the two because UK Comic Relief also released a record that same year. I kind of oh, want really? to see if Lenny Henry's any better than Rob. I know Lenny Henry's funny, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, shit on there that I probably would never have heard of. I'm sure. My, even... That's my favorite part about going over to the UK was discovering that there's this whole, like, bizarro <laughs> comedy world mm -hmm. that are, like, 
there's different people that fit into different kinds of archetypes and mm -hmm. uh and just people i've never ever heard of before yeah it was great it was like yeah it was like finding uh you know a box full of comic books at a garage sale it was just yeah. like just finding okay yeah like there's this guy and you know there's a comedian and they're endorsing this type of hotel uh -huh. and you're like who the hell are they who the hell are they right yeah <laughs> It's interesting what reaches you guys and what doesn't. Uh, do you have a, a quick moment for me to talk? Because here's the problem: uh, everybody knows and listens to the show. If I have a Canadian on, we're going to have to talk Canadian content for at least a minute. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, you've done a lot of Canadian TV. Have you ever had to deal with that personally, Canadian content stuff, or has it never been your purview? Like. Do I have to do stuff that's Canadian content? Yeah, has that ever? Yeah, has that ever been an issue? I guess that's a no. producer thing, really. Yeah, the fact that um, the fact that I'm on any shows it counts as right. Canadian content. Like makes sense. So, and it's weird. It's like CanCon really did a lot of amazing work for music. Sure. Uh, but the, the television side of it and the movie side of it weren't held to that same kind of rigor so mm -hmm. uh so it's not quite as as helpful as it mm -hmm. was for music right like with music it had there was a, an absolute percentage every hour that you had to play mm -hmm. canadian music so it fostered a whole scene sure um but tv doesn't have that same strict limit okay okay and that's kind of where stand-up lived for a long time was tv oh, okay yeah that makes sense like, you know, like I'm sure back in the 60s and 70s, st stand up was like album, album mm -hmm. and radio. Yeah. And then I think during the 80s and 90s, it was cable television. That's where stand up lived. Yeah. And in Canada, yeah, you can get tax breaks and stuff by making mm -hmm. a Canadian production. And, uh, and like I say, the networks have to produce a certain amount to sure. keep their license. So. Anything that I would be on would be just automatically considered can con. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think I became fascinated with it knowing just because of uh, the sheer fact that they were parodying the very idea of it on SCTV so much. I yeah. think that's the thing that made me so fascinated with it, I guess. Yeah, it's it was it's like this weird thing that Canada's had to do because mm -hmm. we're so close to the States. Yeah. Because, you know, like if you go to Norway, you go to Sweden, they have their own independent film culture and television mm -hmm. culture because there's a there's a language change. Yeah. And, but there isn't that between Canada and America. So and we're sitting next to the biggest entertainment producer in the world. Right. So we had to like government had to literally step in and be like, no, you must you must make this much canadian content otherwise we will just be snowed under mm -hmm. you know yeah you know speaking of which though like the more i think about this collection this asinine collection of records i've got sitting here i can only think of two overtly obviously canadian records that i have and i'm wondering even after my obsession with CanCon and and comedy from everywhere obviously i'm only going to get certain things but I've got the Great White North, which is a, a great record, but it is it's kind of a universal hit. But it is one of the best sketch comedy records I've ever heard. Absolutely. Then there's one called "My Fellow Canadians," which is Rich Little. Oh, Rich Little. That's it is right. a it is basically a response to the first family record, which is the biggest hit of all time, at least in America. What was that guy's name again? Vaughn Meter. Vaughn Meter. Yeah, Vaughn yeah, Meter. Yeah. I'm obsessed with him. He's got an interesting story. I interviewed his widow on this show once. <laughs> And Get out. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a really good it was a good interview. But I, I want to talk to Rich Little because I will tell you, I listen to my fellow Canadians and not being Canadian or in 1960, uh, I got zero zero because it was all referential. It was all yeah. which is great, though. I mean, that's it should exist. That should exist. But I do literally need somebody that old and that Canadian to walk me through it. Um, yeah. Like I would listen to it and I wouldn't get it either. Right. It's, you know. 
like if they're talking about Diefenbaker, I don't know what he sounds like. You know? <laughs> that's, that's probably a good impression, I guess. Like, I mean, it's weird, right, that JFK has become a thing that is recognized probably worldwide as, a, as I mean, to the point where if you watch The Simpsons, you know that they're doing JFK when they're doing when oh, when Mayor Quimby speaks, that yes. kind of thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's a fairly, even if you don't know where it's from, it's a universal thing. It is weird that a parody of this dead guy like it's weird i don't know it's, yeah. a, it's a strange element of comedy the um, uh, other canadian kind of like from the album era mm-hmm. um there's a duo called mclean and mclean oh. and they they were very big in canada in the 70s mm-hmm. and i'm um, gonna write this one down yeah they're kind of like some of their stuff is like musical and um you know lots of like drug references and the like Mm-hmm. But they were very popular in the 70s. And then I'm trying to think of who else would have been like. By the way, very quickly, I'm an idiot. Tommy Chong is Canadian, too. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, yeah, I, I should absolutely. not I should not disregard that. But there is it's weird because um, Canada's uh, kind of domestic comedy output didn't really start uh, until the 80s. Mm-hmm. Stand up wise. I mean, sure, sure, uh, sure. There were other there were other things that were Canadian that got out there. Sure. Um, there was uh, what do they call Wayne and Schuster? Yep. Was uh, they were like the most booked act ever on Ed Sullivan? You know what? I'm an idiot. Also have one of their albums. So there we are. Yeah, and they they were on forever. I mean, when I was a kid, I'd watch it, and even then, it was very dated and kind mm-hmm. of cornball. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it translated. It, it translated across the border. Mm-hmm. in a way that uh rich little's album probably did not you know yeah 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 that yeah. It, that's kind of a i mean those were all kind of a roll of the dice when all these people made these different first family like albums but like i do again that's why i'd like to speak to rich little just about that album like what were you shooting for were you hoping that the recognition i and i i'd love to know how well it sold in canada i would I like to know. It, i think it like it probably did really well in Canada, mm-hmm. but that would be a small number American wise. You know, well, I mean? okay. Sure, sure, sure. I guess yeah. that's possible. When I was a, when I was a kid, there was a two radio shows that were all about Canadian politics and people doing impressions of Canadian politicians and, and the like. And the better of the two was called Double Exposure. Okay. And it it was so local. It was so just like it was impressions of different premiers and the prime minister i think the only international person they uh imitated was the queen okay yeah so like and then maybe like an american president might sneak in there but really really tangentially sure so yeah i think that's probably what rich little was going for that same little tiny slice of the market but yeah uh, who knows you know ah it's fascinating to me I, i i love this stuff and i would never have discovered it if it weren't for a an obsession with the first family and be an obsession with canadian comedy. you know there's another one that i also i don't have the physical one one fan who's like you like canadian comedy here let me send you a few things let me sneak you some stuff uh one of them though is lorne michaels with his first comedy partner hart pomerantz yeah yeah who i've been trying to get on this podcast um uh he and i have talked a few times he's got some interesting things to say about lorne michaels uh that's one i really want to listen to and talk about because i feel like that's a weird moment that launched again something huge in the U.S., but uh, you know, massive Canadian influence on U.S. comedy. Yeah, and and uh, I remember reading an interview with Lauren Michaels about why he's not a performer, why he became kind of a producer, and mm-hmm. uh, that he was on stage not with uh, Pomerantz but somebody else, and they were doing a sketch, and he looked into the eyes of the other person and and realized that person was the character they were playing. And he was just a guy reciting lines. And so he was just like, ah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like people are more committed to it and they're better at it. So that I'll is better self-awareness than a lot of performers have. That's, that's, you know what? Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> case, it, and then like shows, uh, like you say, kind of like an introspection that maybe, uh, his fellow performers did not Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. maybe maybe and it worked out all right for him you know yeah. um <laughs> i do not want to take up your entire day much as i could talk to you all day um mm-hmm. so what's your favorite track off this album if you've got one um i mean 
singing wise and like i think i like uh they call the wind maria sure yeah it's good yeah mm-hmm. and but i also like dance boatman dance because it's fast it's just like fast True. folk song and uh, that's the the track where he's talking about the uh, sailors going into town and getting their oars and uh so i like that intro and i like, like that song it, it clips along really well and yeah. uh yeah i think that's my that's probably my favorite track that's how fair. about you uh, I kind of think I'm the same, and it, it's because I mean every note that I was I was taking it as I was listening to it, and I literally had to drop my shit and stop at one point because uh, again hadn't heard it in so long, and uh, yeah, uh, actually had a weird well whatever we don't have to go into it, but I had a weird emotional reaction to it. We will just say, and uh, that is one of the reasons I'm like oh fuck I'm so glad that this happened. I'm so glad that you picked this out. What what was the uh, what was the emotional reaction? Well, okay, I'll, I will tell you if if you're willing to listen to it. Sure. It's, uh, uh, long story short, my friends and I, uh, my two best friends and I, like I said, listened to this and had jokes. And one of my friends, it was pretty tragic, but he, he, he died. And, um, because one of the jokes that popped up that he would repeat all the time and informed his sense of humor, which then informed my sense of humor, I was just like laughing, laughing, and then like stopped and just started bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, Oh, oh wow. this is, this is a moment. I just had a, yeah. a real fucking moment. And, uh, I honest to God, thank, have you to thank for it. Cause it's like, oh, you know, man. It's weird. I hadn't had, and I, he's, you know, we have been known, we've known that he's been dead for two years and all of a sudden they're just like, whoosh. So it was weird, weird moment, yeah, but good, and, but good. And, and like, uh, it's weird how a comedy bit can also trigger like reactions and emotions like a song can. Yes. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. Ooh, lost my microphone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Cause I, I don't know. I remember where I was when I first was listening to the Smothers Brothers records. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take me right back, you know, to that, that house I was living in and what was going on in my life and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's as powerful as a song. Yeah. And luckily this album also has songs. Thank God. Right. (laughs) I, 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 I just, that's weird. I've never had that moment with a guy. This is, this is a weird breaking point in, in in a good way for the podcast. So I don't know. I thought that was cool. It was, it was a nice moment to have. And, um, I don't know. It's a good album. It's a good record. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was absolutely. Like, and and it's nice. I think that's nice that you had like a good, you had a moment with it. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, it's never happened. That was, was pretty great. Um, Graham, I'm uh, sorry, Graham. I want to say it right. I keep doing the Americanized Graham. That's not fair. <laughs> You're not a measurement of of mass or weight. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, you have been so delightful to sit here and do this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, this is going to come out not next Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Okay. Um, tell people where they can find you, what they should listen to or watch. Uh, if you have anything coming up, I don't know if you're doing any Zoom shows like some of us idiots are doing. Um, no Zoom shows. I mean, I put out a podcast every week with my friend uh, Dave Shumka uh, called Stop Podcasting Yourself. And podcast. Thank you. Uh, I've been in this uh, kind of self-isolation era. I've been painting uh, mm-hmm. using my beard as a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, sell these paintings and then the money goes to uh, whatever charity. Uh, if, if somebody has a particular charity they work with, it goes to that. If not, it goes to Food Banks Canada. So good. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing to keep busy the last while. So but if you want to check them out, beardpaintings.com or mm-hmm. grahamclark.com you can find them there mm-hmm. yeah so that's, that's what's going on that's what's cooking this has been so nice i really appreciate it honest mm-hmm. to god this is this has been super super fun i've been looking Thank forward to this for four putting up years. with all the you know all the back and forth forever and ever i'm glad this finally happened we did it me too uh you're uh no pressure but you're welcome back anytime this is this was an absolute delight I we would talk love about... to come back and talk about a couple Canadian albums. Yes. Like, specifically. There was a guy I wanted to, like, I would guess I would have to upload the album because I can't find it anywhere online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's a guy, it's it's an album I thought was so funny. It's by a guy who doesn't do stand-up anymore named Alan Watt. Okay, um, wait a minute. Okay. Sounds familiar. And, yeah, he's a writer. He wrote books. Like, he kind of mm-hmm. gave up stand-up to write books. Okay. And uh, anyways, his album's so funny. Okay. Um, but I, I think I still have a hard copy of it somewhere. And if I can, if I can rip it and send it, that, that would okay. be a good one to chat about. That would be 
fucking amazing. I would love to do that. Yeah. That was that was one thing I forgot to ask you. Like one of my favorite things about traveling the country when that was a possibility was, or being in the UK was like trying to find local comedians on their records because that was a huge thing. It's the only way where people were making their money outside of the club money. You know, that was their side yeah. money. They didn't yeah. do t-shirts. Uh, have you ever run into any like old school local Canadian comics or was that not a thing at the time? Like, like, like getting your mean- records that were selling albums yeah like or like in a, in an old record shop because that's where i like finding like 50 year old records of comics who are no longer around yeah like i'll say like more of them probably existed on cd than on sure, vinyl mm-hmm. but there's um for sure there was a guy named mike mcdonald who i <laughs> think put out at least one album there's mm-hmm. a guy named mike bullard who put out an album uh, that I would find in thrift stores a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny because, like, uh, I know the era specifically that you're talking about when people did sell mm-hmm. albums after shows, and they don't really do that anymore. Like, some do, but it's sure. mostly here's the download code. Yeah. Or you can just listen to it for free on Spotify now, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Give me no money. Yeah, exactly. But once in a while, I would find an album at a thrift store that was signed by the comedian. Always. It was yeah. obviously bought at a comedy club and then uh, then tossed away. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> yeah. It makes me sad, but it's also like, I kind of get it also. Like, it's you know, you supported the person. There's that, at least. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you're dead. I don't know how yeah, it yeah. ended up here. I don't know don't your know. life. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham, thank you so much. Um, thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!